Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time. Uh, I think I got one of those. It kind of goes. Uh, well, uh, I want to uh, just kind of update you on a couple things or clarify a couple things before I get into the message today. And uh, as you notice in your bulletin, it talks about me taking a little sabbatical starting June 9 through July 31st. And uh, so I will be gone for those weeks. And it's, um, I appreciate that some of you had said, you know, that's, that's not really a sabbatical. That's like an extended vacation, you know. And so I appreciate your, your caring like that. Um, but I am splitting it up because as I've begun a doctoral program, when I'm done with my doctoral program, hopefully in about five years, I'll be able to use some more of the sabbatical time that I should have to do the writing and all of that. So I'm kind of splitting it up before and after. Um, now, I just wanted to kind of fill you in because some of you have been asking about the doctoral program that I'm in. And I want to clarify, it's not a PhD. Okay? It's a doctorate of ministry. So it's a professional degree, not an academic uh, uh, degree per se. In fact, you, you can't even get into the program unless you're full-time pastoral ministry. It's at Fuller Theological Seminary, which is in Pasadena, and it will take me about five years to complete. So the way it kind of goes, so you know, because people say, how often do you have to go to Pasadena, and how often are you in class, and so forth. It's done in intensives. So, for instance, I'm just finishing up one right now, and it's actually been online the whole time, about two more weeks left. And then I don't take another class until February of 2015. And it's a one-week intensive in Pasadena. I'll be there for a week. But you have to do all the three to 4,000 pages of reading before you go to the class. <laughs> so you start reading that in the summer and work your way to there. Then you write your paper after that class. And then my next class will be in August 2015. That'll be a two-week intensive. And then for three years, I'll meet in August for two weeks. And the focus that I'm doing is on leadership. It's called organic leadership. And so by 2019, I should be done, all right? <laughs> Hopefully, we'll see how it all goes. But I just want to kind of answer some of your questions that some of you have been pondering and wondering, you know, what does that mean exactly? And when are you going to be gone? And, and all that type of stuff. So I'll be here, I'll be pastoring, and I'll be away every once in a while for a couple weeks. Uh, I'll have my nose in the book quite often, you know. Uh, but uh, it's all good, and I'm enjoying the program so far. And I uh, appreciate your, your interest, but I thought maybe that would help uh, answer many questions at one time. Does that help? Okay, good. <laughs> so today, today I want to look at a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be looking uh, at one verse in particular, but several verses before we get there, beginning in verse 8 through verse 17. Have you ever been, uh, have you ever experienced this? Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at school, maybe it's at home, uh, maybe it's a friendship, relationship you have. And for some reason you can't figure out why they just want to be mean to you. Or why they say these cruel things to me. And so maybe, maybe you think, okay, well, I'm just going to be kind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still be nice. And maybe they're just having a bad day. And so you, you continue to be kind to them. You continue to be nice. And, but they continue to just seem to be rough on you, seem to say mean things, seem to say hurtful things. You experience sort of this suffering, if you will. Well, Peter is talking to people who are suffering. Not necessarily physical suffering, although there may have been some of that. 
But these are people that had kind of come out of the world, the world of paganism, they become Christians, and now all their pagan friends were giving them a hard time for what they believed, and now their new behaviors. And so they were, they were being persecuted, they were suffering for this, they were saying things to them, they were, they were torturing them with their words, if you will. And so Peter writes to them and tells them to be strong, persevere, you'll experience suffering for Christ's sake, but consider it an honor. And so in the immediate context of verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says, finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or, or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You see, church, as Christians, we are, as Paul would call us, instruments of righteousness. We are called to partner with God in putting things back to right in this world. It's called doing the right thing. It's called breaking the cycle of evil. That's why forgiveness is so important. Because when we forgive, we break a cycle of evil. When God forgives us, he breaks the cycle of evil. What happens is when we forgive and we move towards putting things right and we don't continue the behavior of what has been done to us, we don't let evil reign in that situation. We let God reign. And so we are partnering with God through acts of righteousness and putting things back to right. That's why, Paul, that's why Peter says in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this we were called. We're called to break the cycle of returning evil for evil. He goes on. In verse 13 he says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good. Now, I love how he kind of says that because think about that for a second. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? You ever been harmed for doing good? <laughs> Absolutely. So Peter kind of fixes it. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keep in a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. See, Peter's actually quoting from the book of Isaiah here. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. And at that time, the people God had called Isaiah to prophesy to were very afraid of Assyria. Assyria was a powerful country, and they feared the power and the people of Assyria. And so God said to Isaiah, For this is what the Lord said to me with great power, to keep me from going the way of his people. Do not call everything an alliance these people say in his alliance, and do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of hosts as holy. 
Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. Peter's reminding them there's only one person who should have the power and the authority of your life, and it's Jesus. Not the people who give you a hard time. Don't let them rule over you. Save that spot for Jesus. He alone needs to be Lord of your heart and your life. Isn't it scary how much control we give people? You just naturally kind of do it, right? Well, you did this to me, so I'm what? Going to do it to you. She said this to me, so I'll say this. He said this to me, so I... Peter says, set apart Jesus as Lord in your heart. Only Jesus. Now, I know this is hard. I heard, a, I heard a story long ago. I don't know if it's true or not, but it sounds good, so I'll tell it to you. I heard that, tree, that fleas, trees, fleas, that fleas could be trained. I don't know if anybody knows if there's any truth to that or not here. Those of you who are in the sciences and the different things, is that, I don't know if that's true, but I heard that fleas could be trained. And that if you put them in a jar and you put a lid on a jar and they jumped high enough to keep hitting themselves or their heads or whatever on the lid of the jar, that if you took the lid off the jar, they wouldn't jump out of the jar because it hurt too much when they hit the lid of the jar. Now you're looking at me like, you are whacked, Pastor John. <laughs> and there's some truth to that. But I always thought about that. And you know, we kind of do that in our own lives. It's like, okay, I've been nice to this person enough times now. It hurts too much. I'm only going to jump so high. I'm withdrawing. I'm moving away because this hurts too much, so I'm not going to do it. And, and to show you how deep my theology really runs, I thought of Charlie Brown, those of you who like the peanuts. And you think of the antics, right, that Lucy always played on Charlie Brown. Those of you who don't know, you're in for a lesson today. So we got to, I found some old pictures online. You remember this, you know? Charlie Brown, you know, where is that guy? He's going to fall for this every single time, right? She has the football. Oh, no, not again. And then she goes on and says, here we go, Charlie Brown. I'll hold the ball, and you come running up and kick it. Like he's never done this before, right? Ah! <laughs> Same thing happens again. And then I found this other slide. Never, ever, ever give up, right? Just keep going, Charlie Brown. Just keep going. Someday you're going to get that football. You're going to do it. But sometimes I think we feel that way. It's like, I don't want to be nice anymore. I don't want to forgive anymore. I don't want to be kind because this person or these people keep treating me this way. And I'm not even doing anything wrong. Never, ever give up. The key, as Peter says, is found in verse 15, verse A. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That word revere is also the same word as holy. It's also the same word as set apart or to sanctify. But in your hearts, Set apart Christ as Lord. To set apart something is something special. 
It's the same word that Jesus used when he taught his disciples how to pray. In this manner, therefore, pray ye. You remember this? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hollow is the same word that Peter's using here. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. We set it apart. It's special. I wear this wedding ring because I'm set apart. I'm set apart to Lisa. And this tells strangers and friends alike that I have been set apart and there is someone who is set apart to me. And when that happens, that's something special. And that also means then that I nurture that setting apart. I do things that strengthen that setting apart and that relationship. You know the old saying, the grass is greener on the other side? Well, the truth is really, what? The grass is greener where it's watered, right? Although somebody in first service said, Irma Bombeck said, the grass is greener under the septic tank. (laughs) Which that's true too. (laughs) But we nurture the things that we've set apart if we really want to honor that person. And so we set apart Jesus as Lord. That means that we do things that nurture that relationship, that that keep that special. We sanctify Christ. There's, There's no one else, there's no thing that is to have that spot of lordship in our heart. No one and no thing. No one and nothing is to be given the power to reign over my life and in my heart. That place, my heart, is set apart solely for Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we really think about the word Lord, that word is also translated master, owner, the one who has authority over. So I don't just say, yes, my Lord Jesus Christ, it's my master, it's my owner, it's the one I've given authority over my life. Now I was thinking about this. And uh, since I'm starting this doctoral program and I do some teaching with the School of Religion, some contract teaching with med students, and, and, it, and it's fascinating to me. They're so used to calling everybody doctor around there. You know, most of the professors, you know, are, have their PhD or whatever. And so, you know, when I hand out my syllabus, it's Pastor Ciccarelli or Pastor John, and here's, here's, here's my, I have my master's and so forth, blah, blah, blah. But they still get confused. They're like, Dr. Uh, uh, prof- uh, pastor. <laughs> and even those that work in the School of Religion, you know, all of the administrative assistants, uh, excuse me, Dr. Ciccarelli, they email me, Dr. Ciccarelli, and I have to tell them, I do not have my doctorate at this point. Da, 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 da. They still do that because it's just a habit, right? So then I really thought about it. And I thought, you know, someday maybe doctor, but, but wait, I have my master's degree. You know, Master Ciccarelli sounds much, much better than Dr. Ciccarelli. I mean, doesn't that just have more weight to it? You know, I mean, just... So I've thought about this in my new syllabus, you know, Master Ciccarelli, just... That's what you'll refer to me as from now, Master. Obviously, I'm not going to do that, but... At home, they call me that, but I don't... (laughs) They're like, yeah, right, that'll never happen. But Jesus is to be our Master. Our Master. The one who has authority over our life. The one who has mastered this life and the only one who can really teach us how to master this life. 
when he is Lord and he has authority over our life. We never own Jesus. He owns us. And that's when the beautiful reign of God happens in our life and things begin to happen. Because it's what comes out of our heart, Jesus says, that shows who is master. Shows the condition of the heart, who owns the heart and who has authority. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of this heart, his heart, his mouth speaks. So we learn a lot about ourselves when people treat us certain ways and our heart spews forth whatever it spews forth because it's out of the heart that we see what's happening with Lord in our heart. Now, none of us are perfect. I'll be the first to admit that there are some things that come out that aren't full of the love of Jesus. By the grace of God, that's all changing for us, isn't it? But Jesus goes on. In the same, just following the next verse, he says, So why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. And so Jesus at one time said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And so church, I ask us today, who do we say Jesus is? Who do we say that he is? If Jesus really and truly has been raised from the dead and he really is who he claimed to be and he will do what he says he will do, then who on earth is more worthy to be our Lord? Who is more worthy to be Lord of your heart and my heart? The church of Christ is a people who confess Jesus as Lord and set him apart in their hearts as master and Lord and owner. As one commentator said, the Christian faith makes no sense, nor does Christian lifestyle ever work until and unless we set apart our lives to allow Jesus Christ to be Lord. And that's where people find the hope that's in our life. This verse often says, you know, to give be able to give an account of the hope, a reason for the hope that's inside of you. And we oftentimes have used that in the past to defend our doctrines, and we have beautiful, wonderful doctrines full of hope. I mean, come on, we're the Adventist people. We're full of hope of the second coming. Loma Linda University and Medical Center is full of hope for this world. Not only there, but what we take to the world to bring hope and the good news of Jesus and God and His love. It's not asking us to give an account for the doctrines we believe in. It's asking to give an account of why we behave the way we do, why we love when we're treated wrong with hatred. Why when someone keeps backbiting us, we don't backbite back. We respond with love and blessing and prayer and serving them. We all know that's not a natural response. That's a supernatural response. 
by the presence of the Holy Spirit experienced in the Lordship of Christ in our hearts. It's based on the belief that Jesus is who he said he was and is. And the words he spoke truly are the words of life. So when he said, you're forgiven, you are forgiven. When he says, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, there's going to be rest. When he says, let not your heart be troubled, it won't be troubled. It also means when he says, love your enemies, we love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We go the extra mile. We forgive as he has forgiven us. And we abide, for apart from him we can do nothing. Even when being persecuted or suffering for apparently no reason, or because I'm not going along with the popular thing or agreeing with gossip or the putting down or harassing of others, we share what I like to call the good life. The good life of the fact that no matter what's happening around me and no matter how I'm being treated, Jesus Christ will be Lord of my life. And when that happens, out of the heart comes the goodness of God. And when I'm treated wrongly and poorly just as he was, maybe by the grace of God I could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I was driving home a couple weeks ago and I saw a sign and um, I figured the economy must be getting better because they're starting to build again around my neighborhood. And it's been about almost five years and so no building has been going on. But there's this sign and uh, I had to pull over to the side of the road to take a picture and I'm going to show it up there and it says, the fairways. What's the fairways? Gateway to the good life. <laughs> Man, I missed it by two blocks. <laughs> I missed it by two blocks in a few years. God, what happened with your timing? Because I just, I just missed that. Church, the good life is not a house. It's not a neighborhood. It's not the car I drive or whatever's in the bank. The good life is Jesus Christ set apart as Lord in my heart. And his reign being expressed through loving others even when they treat me horribly. Of serving them even when it seems like it's all about their life and all their story. It's about speaking words of love and kindness and seeking to understand rather than to be understood. That is the good life. The good life of the kingdom of God. We are not to give what we get from others, but to give what we get from Jesus, being set apart as Lord in our hearts. Living with Jesus as Lord, set apart as Lord from all others in our hearts. Living with holy hearts, hearts set apart to God, and giving to others what we get from Him, not from them, is definitely the only good life. Our Master, the authority over our life, even set Himself in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. 
Jesus had a holy heart. In his heart, he had set apart his Father as Lord, and he did this through the act of surrender. Every day, I, I have to believe that it wasn't just in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. But every morning when he got away for prayer, for the times he got away to a deserted place, the surrender that took place, and said, Father, your will be done. I surrender to you. I'm going to ask the deacons at this time, just as I'm kind of bringing it to a close, I made up a card that I would like to give to you all today. It's not anything that I, I wrote, but it's something that's been around for a long time. Some of you know the first part, and I've talked about this before in sermons in the past. Some of you know the first part as the serenity prayer. God, right, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But there's so much more to it, and that is a huge part of it. But the original writer of this prayer also put, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because it's through the Lordship of Christ that we really experience the serenity of God to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change, and the wisdom to know the difference. But then the rest of the prayer I love so much. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardships as a pathway to peace and taking this world as Jesus did, right? Taking this world as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, and trusting you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Now, I don't know about you, but I gave my life to Jesus sometime around the age of 12. And... Uh, that wasn't the only time I surrendered. But at the age of almost 49, it seems like I have to surrender every few hours at least. God, just take my life. God, not my will, but your will be done. God, grant me the serenity. God, help me enjoy this one moment at a time. God, here you are. Here's my life constantly just needing to set apart Jesus as Lord in our hearts so that we can share the good life with others even if they're not sharing the good life with us. But I want to invite you. I want to invite you just to, I put this on a card. I know that some of the font's kind of small, but I wanted to get it all on there so that maybe you could have this in your wallet, in your purse, wherever you might keep it, just to pray it, to contemplate on it, or like I like to say, to marinate in it. And just... I encourage you even to memorize it. I love when I'm out driving the car and I can say it. Yesterday I was running an errand and I was uh, waiting for someone to come out and give me some customer service. I'd gone in, they knew I was there, I was waiting. A little bit longer than you might anticipate you'd be waiting. And I just sat there and just started going over this prayer in my mind and the lady came out, I'm so sorry I kept you waiting so long. I'm like, oh no. How often do you get like five to ten minutes of just being still for a while when you're running around all through the day? And just to be able to sit there and to be able to just marinate and surrender. To be able to set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts. And to allow the overflow of that to bless this world. To break the cycles of evil all around us with the good life of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for who you are and who you are to us. 
And we thank you and we praise you that you want to be our Lord, that you offer to be our Lord, our master, the one that we can give authority to over our life. Because Jesus, we will confess as much as we've tried to master our own lives, it hasn't worked very well. So we thank you that by your grace and by your love, you offer to be our master. And so may we, may we by your grace, daily set you apart as Lord in our hearts. Let you reign, let you have the authority. Look to you, to be taught by you, to be shaped and formed by you so that we can share the good life of your kingdom, even when the kingdom of evil around us treats us poorly, harshly, and in brutal and hurtful ways. May you as Lord in our hearts express kindness and forgiveness and love. Take a moment now in silent prayer to just set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts this morning.